I was being very kind to Ben, who dropped a parasol base on his foot on Friday. It's like, tell me you're preaching without tell me you're preaching. I was like, I dropped my phone, I smashed that. Ben dropped a parasol on his foot, so now he can't do anything very for very long. Then our freezer broke down on Friday night, so we stood there till 11 with a hairdryer, de-icing the freezer. It's all working now, but Ben missed the Belgium match, which he's a bit gutted about. So, so yes, but it's all good because we're talking about the promises of provision. So, And I, I'm loving this preach series on the promises of God, and if you haven't yet... Um, heard all of the past four weeks that Paul and Sarah have kind of set us up for, then please do go back and listen to those and watch them online because they really do set a foundation because what I want to start talking about, and we've, we've sung about it and Paul's already spoken about it, is a promise is only as good as the person who makes it. And a promise is only as good as the faith I have in that person to fulfill their promise. And as a human being... I might have great motives. Generally, actually, I do have very good motives, and I intend to keep all the promises I make, but I'm a human being. And so I break my promises, not necessarily intentionally, although sometimes I do change my mind and I might backtrack, and, you know, I'm just being honest here, but sometimes I overpromise and I can't keep it. Perhaps it wasn't my promise to actually make, and so I let people down. But we're talking about the promises of God here today. And God is none of those things. God is not human. And I think it's so important that before we look at what God promises, we need to know who is making that promise so that we can trust it. And Paul's already given you opportunity this morning to, if you don't know God, to come forward in your heart and know God. Because I could preach anything right now, and it could be a blinding message. And, you know, please, God, help it, you know, land somewhere. But it means nothing if you don't know who God is, that you can trust him and go that actually that promise, I can trust it, and it's going to be for me. Or actually, you know God, but asking him to trust you with that need. And I completely acknowledge that there are going to be people here in this room and people listening online who are in real need, who are struggling. You're lonely that you're struggling perhaps financially, relationally, you're feeling empty and alone. And there is a void somewhere and there is a need. And you're saying, I need someone to help me. And you're struggling with that possibility, with it possibly being God. So before we move forwards, I again want to create some space so that if you don't know yet the promise keeper... And you don't know yet that you can trust him. Let's just take a moment. Every one of us in this room, every, wherever you're listening, whether you're catching up online even, before, you know, press pause and then play. Um, then let's take a moment to say, God, I need to know right now that I can trust you. I need to know that everything I'm going to hear and all the other promises that I'm going to find out about, and even the ones that we don't get to cover here as a series, I need to know that I can trust your character and I can trust your heart for me. And whether that's for the first time or I just need to be reminded that, God, you are good and you are faithful, I pray that right now I would steal myself and you would help me so that I can move forward and I can receive what you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we... um, 
look at the promise of provision, I just want to quickly establish four facts about God and how he makes his promises. So the first one is that God cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So God, like unlike me, is not going to make a promise and then go, oh, I didn't really mean it. He's not like that. So if I read it, then I can trust that he's spoken it and it's true. So it's, I can stand on that promise. The second thing is God knows the end from the beginning. Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. So what I take from that is that God's first decision is his best decision. So he foresees the need over there and he makes provision back here and he knows how it's going to play out, unlike me who suddenly realizes there's a need and goes, how am I going to fill that? God's like, oh, I've already got you covered because he sees the end from the beginning. The third one, which is very important in this day and age, God doesn't have favorites. Romans 2.11 says, for God does not show favoritism. So in this age of comparison where we, we are always measuring ourselves up against each other, it's a level playing field when it comes to God. So if there's a promise of provision for me, there's a promise of provision for you. And if there's a promise of healing for you, there's a promise of healing for me and Ben's foot. (laughs) If there's a promise of strength, of relationship, of fulfillment, of a future that's far vaster than you ask, dream or imagine, and it's for you, then it's for me too. Because God doesn't have favorites. And God's promises are yes and amen. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is, and I've sung, your promises are yes and amen, but actually the amen's mine. And it means that I'm agreeing with what God says. If you want some original Greek on a Sunday morning, sure, the yes means sure, and not like a, yeah, sure, okay, like a sure, it's like solid, I, I can build my life on that. That is not going to let me down or fall down or collapse. And then my amen is firm. And is unda- there's no doubt in my, in my amen because of how sure God's promises are. So that's the promises of God that we're talking about. And we've talked about the last four weeks and we're going to talk about today in the, the next few weeks. So now, let me introduce you to Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is a name of God, and there aren't, we're not talking about multiple gods here, we're talking about one God, but because our human minds are limited, we need different names to help us comprehend the vast character of who God is. Jehovah Jireh is one of them, and it means the Lord will provide. It's given to um, God by Abraham in Genesis 22, when having provided for him a son, God says, I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham decides that I trust God implicitly with faith that blows my mind. And he says, I'm prepared to go through with it because you provided for him. And you've also promised that my descendants through him are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the shore. So there's got to be something in here that I don't see. So I'm just going to see what happens and follow this through. 
And when God literally provides a scapegoat, a goat caught in the bushes, Abraham names God Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And again, I just love the Bible and I love Abraham for doing this. He doesn't say the Lord provided, he says the Lord will provide because he knew that he would need a reminder the next time he has a need and the next time and the next time and the next time and for all of his descendants he's setting us up to remind us that the Lord will provide because he provided for me right here right now and God has no favorites and he sees the end from the beginning and just as he knew I I would get to this point where I was about to kill my son God decided to orchestrate a goat getting stuck in a bush over here just at the right time so that Abraham had a scapegoat Jehovah Jireh. And again, I love the, the Lord will provide. This provide here in this, uh, there are points, by the way, but they're like further down the line. So just kept, keep coming with me. I'm just getting, I'm so excited when I've been preparing this. And there's so much. I just want to try and get as much in for you this morning. The word provide here means to perceive or experience. So God perceives your need before you realize you need it. So you might be needing something, and I'm, I'm not belittling anyone this morning. Your need could be immense. God perceives it, and he perceived it. And so what we can trust, if God is who he says he is, is that before we even got to this point, before the need was even realized, God perceived it and created provision for it. So we can trust that somewhere along the line, if we keep doing what we need to do, and that's what we're going to come on to in a bit, that we are going to see the provision of God come to life in our lives. It also means, and again, I just fall in love with God all over again when I, hear that, when I understand this. God experiences your need. So again, you might be feeling alone. You might be feeling really dark. You might be feeling desperate and broken and on the brink of something that you don't like the look of, there is real need. God experiences it before you even get there. He experiences the pain. He experiences the struggle. He experiences the loneliness and the darkness. And because God loves you like he's never loved anyone before, and we're all favorites, so he loves us all like he's never loved anyone before, he creates provision for it. Way back here... Because he sees the end from the beginning. I just love God for that. That means that every provision he makes is tailor-made, purpose-built, a perfect fit for your life and mine. How good is God? How good is God? But God being God, sometimes he does just blindside us with kindness, right? I don't know, but I have been on the receiving end every so often of just something that I wasn't looking for. I didn't really even know that I needed Perhaps it wasn't even a need, but actually God just wanted to remind me that I'm here, I'm faithful, I'm kind, you matter. But very often when there's a need or there's a provision, sometimes, and very often I think, God asks us to play a part. I have a very, well she's currently sitting very well behaved, I have a little girl over here called Abigail. She's three. And um, being a three-year-old, we, there are certain things that Abigail needs to be learning right now. She needs to learn how to get dressed. So, you know, to pull your, find your feet through your trousers and your armholes. She needs to learn to put on her shoes. We've nailed the Velcro. 
Tidy up? You're good at tidying up, aren't you? Yes. She needs to learn to feed herself with her cutlery, not just for the first three or four mouthfuls, but for the entire meal. So that she doesn't resort to using her hands and then complain that her hands are dirty. We're getting there. And also, the big lesson right now is from, for Abigail. If she wants something, she needs to learn to ask for it. Don't you? So she's not a baby anymore. So she, doesn't, she can't really cry. And like a fake cry, like, you know, come and find me. And I know I want something, please. And I desperately try and work out what that might be. I don't want her to even point at it and go, oh, because obviously she's short, so everything's up here. I want her to use her words and ask me and say, Abigail, if you want something, ask me for it and ask nicely. In fact, Abigail's got amazing manners. I don't know how or where she got taught that's probably nanny. <laughs> but she's very good at her please and thank yous. But if I'm expecting this of my three-year-old to ask for something when she wants it, then just as God, who is our good, good father and wants us to grow up so that we can help others, do you not think he wants us to ask too? James 4.2 says, James is a bit brutal here. There is, so the, the first half of this verse is a little bit harsh, but come with me and we'll unpack it. James 4 verse 2. You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war and take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Thanks, James. It reads really harshly, but actually when I sit and I reflect and I think about my behavior towards some of the things that I want or things that I think I need and the lengths I sometimes go to get it I might not kill or wage war but I might scheme a little bit it might be at the detriment of another person because I want something and I think this verse shows us that there's a difference between provision which involves God and provision which doesn't I'm trying to be very careful with that because Probably most people in this room, in fact, everyone in this room, to one degree or another, you're able to provide for yourself. Many of us have jobs. Many of us have an income that comes in. And with that, we can provide for ourselves and our families. We can pay our bills. We can put food on our table. Some of us are maybe good at actually cooking the food that comes into the house or maintaining the house DIY. Some of us are very good at administration and organizing and working to a budget. We're able to provide for ourselves. We are, to a degree, self-sufficient. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Because, again, God wants you to grow up a little bit so that you can be mature and you can look after yourself and steward things so that you can care for other people. But when we do all of that and omit God entirely from the actual process and the approach to that. So when I, t- when I, I say I don't turn up to work because I walk into my office at home and turn on my computer. But when I start work in the morning, I'm like, God, you have given me this job and you've given me the skills, gifts and abilities to do this job. So would you help me today to do it well and to be successful? And I don't think there's any problem with that prayer whatsoever because I'm acknowledging that 
I have a part to play in the provision, but so does God, and his role is crucial if I'm going to do this with grace and not do it to the detriment of others and fall into the trap of the first half of that verse. So, because provision without God starts to look very different. And actually, linking back to that comparison thing again, we... When we have, a, we might have, we might have all of our needs met, and actually we might be, you know, have quite a decent setup going on, but we compare. And doesn't James mention jealousy? We see what others have that we don't have, and we want it. And all of a sudden, it starts to feel a little bit unhealthy, and we spiral down and down, and it becomes addictive, and you suddenly get lost, and you can't get out of this spiraling cycle where you're manipulating situations. Perhaps you're having to manipulate the truth in order to get what you want, or you get into debt because you want what you don't have. And God's saying, that's not what I wanted for you. And actually, what you're saying, and what Paul's just said before I got up here, is that shows that when, when, when we, last week, when we neglect our covering, when we forget to include God and say, actually, everything comes from... This is the umbrella illustration. If you haven't seen last week's preach, this means nothing to you. But when we remember to include God in our... Even what looks like us providing for ourselves, but we're saying, God, you know, I don't want to do this if you're not going to do it with me, then this is okay. It's when we put it down that we set ourselves up for a fall and we leave, us, we leave ourselves exposed and vulnerable to what can really damage us and damage others. So please don't neglect your covering. Some of the things that I've have, when I've thought about provision, when I've thought about when God has provided for me and when God, I've seen God provide for others um, in the Bible and I think, you know, testimonies of of friends and family that people have shared. There are certain things that I've realized or I've spotted that are relatively consistent in, the t- in, in how God provides and different things that happen. Um, one of the things is often there, there might not be any other option. Not that God wants us or likes us. I don't think God's cruel. No, I know that God is not cruel. So God is not going to wait until you're desperate deliberately. But actually sometimes God needs us to exhaust all other options so that we then go, actually, God, I do, I need your help. And he goes, finally, now I can help you. Now I can be involved. Now that you've asked me to be involved, I'll, start, I'll get involved. Because God's a gentleman. He's not going to in there and, and take over. He could. But what we have to remember is that God is a relational God. He wants to be wanted. He wants to be involved. He wants you to seek him out. Sometimes meeting that need may seem impossible without help. Sometimes that need is literally, if God, you don't help me, then I don't know what else. It might be a genuine, I need a miracle right now because I can't see a way out of this. Your need might be something grave and deep and horrible. And literally, unless God steps in, you're stuck. I've already talked a few times, and be probably, you might have picked up on my language, but I talk about need a lot. I haven't mentioned a lot of wants. And I think that's because, again, not that God doesn't give us what we want, but just as I'm trying my very, very best to be a good mother to Abigail, if I gave her everything she wanted, whew, I would need to move house and buy like some additional storage, 
We're currently at the age where if she's watching TV, she's spotted the adverts. She's desperate right now. And I, I am never, ever going to spend £40 on a sleeping bag. She's seen on Channel 5, thanks, Milkshake, um, Happy, Happy Nappers? Happy Campers, Happy Nappers. It is a sleeping bag that folds down into a big cuddly toy. And then when you want to have a nap, you pull it apart and it becomes a little sleeping bag. £40 for the smallest one. She's like, I want that one. Yeah, you keep wanting it. <laughs> but, if, and if, but if God was like said, I'll supply all of your wants, how spoiled would we be? And how we would remain childish and we wouldn't grow up and we wouldn't realize that actually there's a joy in playing a part and partnering with God. But God will supply all of his needs. Just like I might not spend £40 on a sleeping bag for Abigail, but I will do everything within my power to make sure she feels safe in her home and she feels warm and she has food on her plate. I will do everything I can for that. And just like God, God, I don't think, deliberately goes out of his way to, um, to leave us without something that is act- an actual need. I don't believe that's his nature. Once, maybe. He might think, no, you're not quite ready for that yet. Because the other thing, the next thing that I've realized is that God fulfills a promise when he knows that we'll receive it in the right way. So God will provide when he knows that actually when he, when he gives it to you, when it turns up, you acknowledge him as the provider And we say, thank you, God, and there's joy in our hearts. And we might even tell other people the good news of what God has done. That's why sometimes I think God might wait a little bit. And he might wait till other options have been exhausted. Or there are, we've we've tried everything else. Because God's like, I need need to know that when I provide, it's going to draw you closer to me, not push you away. That's why I think... God's timing is frustrating at times, but also very, very good. Because actually there's a lesson to learn that I need, when I receive from God, I need to receive with a heart that is thankful and acknowledges him as a provider rather than going, oh, thanks, and I'll just crack on. God wants us to play a part. God wants us to be active sometimes in the provision I think of the late, the woman in the Old Testament. She comes to Elijah. She's got two sons. She's a widow. And she, um, she comes to Elijah and she goes, literally, I've got nothing. Me and my sons are starving. Like, I've had to put them over there because I just can't look at them. And Elijah says, what do you have? And she says, I have this little bit of oil. And Elijah at that point could have prayed to God and Something miraculous could have appeared without her doing anything. But what Elijah says is, go, ask your neighbours for a load of jars and start pouring. Which is just, it's it's a weird way to fulfil a provision. But it's an illustration because God wants to say, I want you to play a part. I want you to be involved. Start pouring. And she kept pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring until she could pay off her debts and live on the surplus. How good is God? Sometimes we have a part to play. And sometimes we have to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? So, 
We understand who God is as provider. We understand that his promise for provision is for you and for me. We understand that we have a part to play. So in order to see that provision come to pass, in order to see it in our lives and bear the fruit of God's love and God's promise, what can we do now to ready ourselves to receive that fruit and set ourselves up to wait well? Let's ask, shall we? Mark eleven twenty four. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Have you stopped asking God? Have you stopped because you've given up waiting, you've given up on hope? Or perhaps you have, have you not asked God at all? Because you think, oh God, I don't need to bother God with that. Maybe you need to start asking again, or actually just start asking, period. Because you matter to God. God has no favorites, remember? Maybe you need to start asking. And like I say, God's relational. He could do anything, but he wants to be wanted. God has a heart. Be content. Philippians 4:11 to 13 says, "Not that I was ever in need, this is Paul talking, for I have learnt how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learnt the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Be content with what you have, and this is not the same as settling. Being content is it's a tricky thing perhaps to get to, but once you're there, it's so powerful. Settling means this is my lot. It's not great, but what more can I expect? That's not settling. I'm sorry, that's not being content. Being content is, yes, there is more. And then, again, I don't have a problem with asking God for more. And I don't think God has a problem with providing more. But... My, I'm content with what I have now. I don't despise what I have now because I haven't got what I need perhaps or want. I'm content with what I have. I had, not that I was, I had to wait a long time for Ben to make up his mind about liking me. But I remember I had a plan, right? In my early 20s, my late teens, early 20s, I was going to be either engaged or at least in the relationship heading that way by the time I was 25. And the night of my 26th birthday, I was, in not, I was not in a good place. Um, Rhea and I were on the youth team at the time, and it was our job every Friday to go and pick up the minibus. And Rhea was like, are you excited for your birthday? Do you remember this? And I was like, not really. Kindest motivation, get a grip. did because I had to front up to the question of actually it hasn't worked out in my timing and what if it doesn't actually work out at all is God still God and that's not an easy question to answer but I have to be content with what I had now which was I had a calling and a purpose and a great life me myself and I with a fantastic group of friends I'm just going to crack on living Be content with what you have and where you're at now, knowing that God's got it and you can trust him. Practice thankfulness. 
A few verses earlier, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Be thankful before you get it. Because what you're actually thankful for is the promise, not the provision itself. Aren't you thankful that God is God, that he does not lie, that he, doesn't, he knows the end from the beginning, that he has no favorites and his promises are sure? Be thankful for that. And then if you're thankful for that, then I believe wholeheartedly the provision is on its way. Steward what you have now. This is, again, it's a, it's a great way to position ourselves to receive what God has for us. Luke 6, 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. More. There's no problem asking for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So whilst you're waiting for the provision... Whilst you're, and again, it, we're not, in all of this, I'm not talking just about stuff. I'm not talking about more money in the bank account or a bigger car or a bigger house. I'm not talking about stuff. Although stuff might be in there. But we all have needs that are physical, mental, emotional, relational, spiritual. We're talking about all those things. But we can steward, whilst we're waiting for that need, we can steward what we have now. So in what, little, what perhaps little you perceive you have in your bank account, steward it well. Can you be generous? Can you tithe? Can you put something in savings? Steward what you have now. Come on, cap money. It's a great, great course, and it will help you do that and help you to steward what you have well. If you've got the gift of time, volunteer, but also steward your time well. Do you need to set boundaries? Do you need to learn to rest? Steward your time well. If your need is a relational one, create space at your table. Obviously, COVID safe. You know, give people a lift. Create the social setting. If, you're, if, you, if your need is a relationship, your need is a friend, go be friendly. Create the social setting and believe that God will provide what you're looking for. Steward what you have well. Romans 12 verse 1 in the message says, So here, what, here is what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Because when we steward what we have well, it helps us be content with what we have. And it gets us ready, and, it, and it, we can't help but be thankful for what we have when we steward what we have well. And it sets us up to be, well, if we can be content now, it sets us up to wait well. And this is my final point, and this is how I want us to respond. Waiting well means we don't just ask and then sit and twiddle our thumbs. Wait, like waiting until God turns up for life to start or for us to be able to move on. You have purpose now. You have a calling now. You have opportunity now. So wait well. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and I want us to 
perhaps whatever you need to do to be able to truly hear it. Maybe you need to close your eyes. And after this, we're going to go straight into um, a prayer. But I'm going to read this passage of scripture. And this is Jesus speaking. So get yourself ready, whatever that means or looks like, to hear Jesus speaking to you. Matthew 6, 25 to 33. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wild flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Maybe you need to start asking God. Maybe it's time to get real and get specific. God, we want to come close to you, and we want to acknowledge you and involve you in our lives in a way that creates space for you to provide, for us to see that promise of provision. Help us to be real. Help us to get over ourselves, to put ego aside and acknowledge that sometimes, God, we cannot do this without you, and nor do we want to. Would you help us, God? Would you help us not only in that meeting of the need, but trusting not only in the promise of provision, but in you who makes that promise? God, would you show us what we already have? Would you help us to be content with that whilst we wait? Would you help us to steward it well as we wait, as we stand in faith and trust you? God, as Paul was already said earlier, may we get rid of that fear. Help us, God, could be, so that we stand firm on your promise that you not only know what our need is, you perceive it before we do, you experience it before we do. Help us trust you. Help us hold on to you. Help us walk in faith every single day whilst we wait. Help us to remain faithful. And God, whilst we wait, whilst we hold on to the promise of provision, I pray that you would remind us again and again and again of who you are, the vastness of your character and the limitless of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.